The Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast is brought to you by Blue Pineapple Travel. Blue Pineapple Travel are experienced travel agents who help you design the perfect trip. They're all well-traveled and knowledgeable, and they will be your advocates from start to finish. The world is a lot different these days, and the agents at Blue Pineapple Travel are ready to help you safely navigate it. From helping you figure out the conscientious destinations to helping you figure out entry protocols for different countries, the agents at Blue Pineapple Travel are there for you. Looking to work abroad for an extended period of time? Looking to attend virtual school from a remote location? These are all things that Blue Pineapple Travel can help you do. Again, their website is bluepineappletravel.com. The Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast is also brought to you by ITL Coaching and Performance. You can find them at itlcoaching.com. ITL Coaching and Performance exists to build a community of athletes set on reaching goals and serving the community. They have a passion for helping people achieve their goals and dreams. ITL coaches are real people with phones, emails, and the desire to spend time with you during your training. They are vested in their ITL athletes. ITL takes a communal approach to coaching, so there's always someone available to answer questions and to help adjust your training schedule. An ITL coach will be glad to meet with you and to chat about your goals and find the best plan to help you meet those goals. Again, their website is itlcoaching.com. And finally, the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast is also brought to you by SlayRx. You can find those good folks at www.slayrx.com. Are you needing a pleasant spark to take your endurance game to the next level? Are you needing an all-natural, high-quality, customized hydration powder with or without sugar to stave off cramping and dehydration? Are you in need of an effective all-in-one fuel to slay your endurance efforts? Look no more. SlayRx. SlayRx has a really good line of products to serve our most pleasant exhaustion podcast listeners. Let's start with Michelle's favorite, Spark Plug, which replaces sports gel and gross post-race strips to the Porta Johns. It's a poppin' electrolyte powder in small, easily carried tubes. There's also an all-in-one endurance fuel. It has all of your electrolytes, clean fuel, and for no extra cost, your essential amino acids with or without caffeine. And it costs about one-third as much as other brands' combo rocket fuels. Finally, they have my favorite, SlayRx Hydrate Powder, which comes with or without sugar and varying strengths of electrolytes based on your individual needs. They can find those individual needs on the free quiz online at SlayRx.com or with in-person testing like Patrick and I did at their headquarters on podcast episode number 114. Hydrate is the fuel that I use during the Blue Ridge Relay this year, and I recommend it for all of you as well. SlayRx products are 100% natural, come in great flavors, are vegan friendly, and the Hydrate Light is keto friendly. They've all been well researched and developed by a UGA food scientist who's also an Ironman athlete. The products are tested by the pros and endorsed by your fellow endurance athletes and hardworking folks in the community. The free sweat quiz and their products can be found at SlayRx.com, on Amazon.com, or at your local run and bike shop if it's available. You can use the code PLEASANT21 for 10% off at their website. Thanks to SlayRx for sponsoring us, y'all. Give them a try. We appreciate our sponsors, and thanks to all of them for helping us bring you the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast, brought to you by ITO Coaching Performance, Blue Pineapple Travel, and SlayRx. My name is George Darden. I'm an endurance athlete and coach here in Atlanta, Georgia. I'm a father of twin boys, and I'm a college professor. My name is Michelle Frank. I'm also an endurance athlete here in Atlanta, Georgia. I am a mom to three girls, and I am a CPA. And my name is Eric Hall. I'm an endurance athlete and coach in Raleigh, North Carolina. I'm a father to three teenagers and the husband to a beautiful wife, Melissa. Round the horn. Michelle, what you been up to? 
Sure. Um, I watched a really great YouTube video this morning. I was doing an hour easy um, on the treadmill and they've done a series, uh, Jake Riley, one of our men's marathoners, just his build up to, I struggle whether to say Tokyo or Sapporo because the marathoners aren't going to Tokyo <laughs> and they refer to it as Sapporo. So um, how about his build up to the Olympic marathon? There you go. And um, his coach by Lee Troop, who famous uh, 209 marathoner, former Olympian in his own right. And that he took him out to uh, what they call a hilly tempo run at Teller Farm. And he basically had to do 6K on hills. Uh, some of them were like 20 to 50 meters long and some of them were like 400 to 600 meter climbs. And then essentially when he got done with that loop, it was a 5K back to the parking lot and he was supposed to just get through the first mile and then give it everything he had the last two. But what I really liked about the video was, first of all, I was watching it on the treadmill and there was something about the videography that literally made me feel like I was running on the loop. It was as close to some type of like virtual reality <laughs> as I think I've ever gotten. Um, so it was kind of fun to feel like I was running right behind him. But uh, he had a goal to beat uh, Lee Troop's record from however many years ago. And he didn't do it. And he didn't even run his best time in terms of other marathon preps that he's done. And the last eight minutes of the video was really um, his coach just explaining to him how he ran the workout and how good it was, even though he didn't get like a personal best time and how the majority of marathoners leave their best marathon or the best that they could be on the day of their marathon out there in some random training run. And you just saw he was sort of despondent after it was over because he wanted to run it in a certain time and he ran 30 seconds slower, but you just saw eight minutes of like the coach athlete relationship where Lee's just talking to him and explaining to him, this was great for the day. It was only 30 seconds off what we thought, you know, you probably could run. He would so much rather Jacob had an A minus or a B plus workout so that he's ready for an A plus run on the day of the marathon. And uh, just his whole approach and persona changed over the period, just listening to the coach talk to him about it was purposeful. It, you know, you got everything out of it that you wanted. And when you couldn't go at the end, the last two miles and you still shifted, that's what it's going to feel like the last six miles. And it's all muscle memory and how he achieved exactly the purpose that the workout was set to achieve. And I just thought it was a, a really cool, just a really cool thing to watch because I think you know, we all have these workouts and sometimes we judge an entire training cycle by one workout that we think sucks. And it's really not just one workout. It's kind of the whole build and also not, you know, running your race when it's not race day. Um, For sure. So I, sure. I've been following the series and I just thought that it was great. It's only about 20 minutes long. So is that going to be the last one in the series? I guess it's got to be the last one in the series prior to the Olympics since the Olympics start, you know, Tomorrow. Yeah, I mean, this was filmed three weeks out from the marathon and mm -hmm. he was basically just going to have, you know, like a five mile tempo run and then they were going to really start dialing it in and uh, just cutting the mileage and stuff before he headed overseas. So okay. I would think there might be one more um, release this week. I don't know. I mean, I've been following, they've done a series um, on athletic club has done a series. So it's been pretty cool to just watch some of these YouTube stuff come out every single week as these athletes build up to the Olympics. For sure. For sure. And you got us kicked off on the right 
foot there since we're, we're going to be talking about the Olympics tonight. And that's what we said last week that we're going to be focusing on entirely. And we'll talk more about the format and how we're going to go about doing that here in just a second. But, uh, but yeah, it, it reminds me, you're talking about like not leaving your race on the practice field. That was, um, yeah. There's a, a there's, there, there's a, there's a famous story from the last time the Olympics were in Tokyo, which was in 1964 um, about Ron Clark. Um, and Ron Clark was considered the greatest distance runner in the world at that time he was an Australian um, and the day before the 10,000 meters um, a lot of the athletes were together at a, like a practice facility um, and Ron Clark starts running and people of course know who he is and they're all kind of watching that's Ron Clark over there they're kind of watching and looking and, and all that sort of thing and he starts running faster and faster and faster and you know according to the legend he evidently like clipped off a, a 5k world record at the time and some of that but just basically burying himself um, kind of for the hell of it the day before the race um, and then he goes out the next day in the 10,000 meter final um, and he ends up getting beaten by an American named Billy Mills um, and we all know the story in the United States of Billy Mills, uh, the Native American who, who won the gold medal for the United States in the 1964 Tokyo Olympics. And, and we talk about how great it was and how marvelous his kick was. And it was chronicled in the movie Running Free or Running Brave. Um, and, uh, and, and, and we like all of that. But um, when they tell that story in Australia, it's a cautionary tale of how you can lose a race by actually running too hard um, in the lead up to the race. You can leave your race on the practice field rather than actually having your race. Um, so yeah, I was reminded of that. Um, Eric, what you been up to, man? So I've been preparing for watching the Olympics and specifically Olympic soccer. Um, there you go. As you talked about last week with Luke, right? right? Right. And most people would be thinking that I'm excited about watching the USA play in the Olympic soccer. And disastrously <laughs> wrong for many reasons. Um, but no, I'm, I've been really excited because, you know, I mentioned last week, someone who I coached in South Africa is actually on the South African Olympic team. And I, I think that's phenomenal. I've, I've never, you know, coached an athlete that's made it to that level. Um, but at the same time, I've never been as frustrated with a process as I could possibly be, uh, because each day the news about the South African Olympic team um, gets a little more frustrating. Um, you know, the, two of the athletes tested positive two days ago, and then I, I guess another one tested positive yesterday today, and mm -hmm. now um, something like two dozen of the staff and team, mostly team members, are in quarantine, and they have a game on Thursday. Um, their their opening game against. Japan, <laughs> you know, and, and, uh, you know, the odds are that they're going to, it's going to be a difficult road for them to, to travel, but I would at least like, like them to get on that road. Um, mm -hmm. I'd like to see Luke, uh, get on the field. I would like to just see some soccer, you know, played, uh, especially someone who I coached and, um, I really, you know, I, I really like Luke. I, I messaged with him yesterday. It's very exciting. Uh, for him, you know, it's, this is a huge experience for anybody, but it's very exciting for him. And I can only imagine, you know, the emotional roller coaster he's on right now with yeah. the rest of his team and the staff. So a little bummed about that. I'm, I'm, I'm definitely a glass half full person. So I'm, I'm still, you know, fingers are crossed. I'm still planning to catch one of their games, whether it's on replay or uh, Vizumzi 
uh, pirates it somehow on the internet. Um, <laughs> not sure how he does this sort of thing, but he, he, he's pretty good at it. So, yeah. So that, that's what I've been doing. That's sort of my, that's my around the horn right now. A little frustration, a little excitement. Uh, COVID yeah. continues. Yes, indeed it does. So I, <clears throat> it will be interesting to see the way, um, and we can talk about this more in just a minute. It'll be interesting to see the way that the COVID-19, of course, influences what happens. I mean, it's already profoundly influenced the nature of the games in terms of fans and, and the athlete experience and all that sort of thing. Um, but it will be interesting to see the way that, that it actually influences the competition schedule um, and who's able to field the team um, and that sort of thing. Or um, what team they field. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So like we we talked all about the the primary athletes that made the Olympic teams and they're dropping out. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, you know, there's it that's why we have um we have athletes in in waiting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so uh, yeah, and some of them are getting a chance. Yeah. And I hope they're ready because it's it's the world stage and this is the time to throw down your your best race ever. So yeah, one of our one of our local Olympians uh, from here in Atlanta, Coco Golf, uh, a, a tennis player. Um, she rose to fame in 2019 when she beat Venus Williams in one of the opening rounds of Wimbledon. Um, she uh, was on the Olympic team. She was named the, the Olympic women's tennis tennis team for the United States. Uh, she tested positive for COVID-19 once she actually got to Japan. Um, uh, her and her family said that she actually tested negative while she was still here. She tested positive in Japan and, and they sent her home. Um, and so, and they activated the alternate. So mine is, even though we're going to be talking more about the Olympics here, uh, mine, my, my around the horn doesn't have a whole lot to do with the Olympics. I guess it's maybe Olympics adjacent. Um, and, and that was the, uh, the, the triathlon battle Royale that took place over the weekend. Um, and we actually, uh, exchanged a few notes about this or exchanged a lot of notes about this on text when, when, when we were watching it happen. But, um, Essentially, what it was was a time trial that was set up and produced and paid for and managed um, by Jan Frodeno, um, who is a, a former Olympic champion himself. Um, and he is a Kona champion, uh, considered by many to be one of the best, if not the best, triathlete and long course triathlete in the world right now. Um, he set it up expressly to, to try and challenge the world best over 140.6 miles over the so-called iron distance in, in triathlon. Um, and initially it was going to be just him. It was going to be a solo effort, but then um, along comes Lionel Sanders, uh, the American who has finished second in Kona, um, who has a huge YouTube following and, and uh, is very popular uh, among triathlon fans. Um, and they, they, they started billing it as a battle royal, uh, a head-to-head Ironman between the two of them. Um, and, and initially, I was kind of skeptical of that because I was like, head-to-head Ironman, that's a really long way to go head-to-head. And, and sure enough, it didn't really shape up as like a head-to-head type battle. Um, uh, Jan Frodeno got out of the water five minutes faster. Um, <clears throat> he put a little bit more distance on the bike, put a little bit more distance on the run. Um, and, and that was kind of it. But in the process, Jan Frodeno did uh, go the fastest that anybody has ever gone over the, the course of a 140.6 uh, mile uh, uh, course. Uh, he did uh, 727, uh, 727.53 it was. Um, he, uh, he came out of the water in 45.58. Uh, he transitioned quickly, and then, of course, he did 355.26 on the bike, which is mind-blowingly fast, um, averaging more than 300 watts when he was on the bike. 
um, and over 28 miles per hour. Um, hopped off the bike, began his run. Um, at one point fairly early in the run, he actually took a spill and fell hard on his hip. But uh, nonetheless, he was able to kind of run that off, walk that off, and he ran 244.21 for the marathon to, to wrap up this uh, kind of time trial effort in Germany the two of them uh, took on together. Um, Lionel Sanders came in 16 minutes later. Um, it was basically a PR for Lionel Sanders. It was right about what he has, has done in the past. Um, and uh, uh, most of the people who are watching, I say, I dare say, tuned in to actually watch Lionel Sanders. <laughs> and so in that 16 minutes between the time that Jan Frodeno finished and when Lionel Sanders finished, um, there was a lot of commotion on the live YouTube feed that I was watching um, as they were showing Jan Frodeno and they were interviewing him and they were showing producers and they were showing highlights of his race and Lionel Sanders was still out on the course. Um, but, uh, but anyway, um, sort of an interesting event uh, for sure. Um, I think that, that triathlon and in this case, particularly long course triathlon, like a lot of sports um, are trying new and different things in order to shake things up and to, to uh, attract more viewers. Um, whether this is ultimately successful, whether it's going to be a model for something new, uh, we'll see. It's hard to say. Um, primary sponsor, the title sponsor was actually Zwift, um, even though it was an, out, an outdoor triathlon, um, which I thought was interesting as well. But um, did y'all watch any of it? I know we texted a lot about it. I think it's fair to say that it achieved its purpose in just bringing something different and creating a different type of hype around the long course triathlon. But I think we can all agree that it wasn't exactly a battle <laughs> the way that it was, you know, branded to be. Yeah. But, um, I think it achieved its purpose in terms of just giving people something else to watch and getting excited about and sponsors another opportunity to kind of showcase themselves. So I think so. And for the, and for, we'll the athletes to, I mean, and, and for the athletes to build their personal brand, sure. you know, because that's such a part of, of, of a lot of individual endurance sports, such as long course triathlon is, is, you know, your personal brand. Um, yeah. We, the, the, the texting we did about it, I was, I was pretty harsh towards Lionel Sanders. Um, and I've softened in that over the course of the past couple of days since then as an FYI. We all um, do with age. So, pretty harsh is an understatement. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, I like Lionel Sanders just fine, but I, I sort of fell prey, I think, to maybe some of the marketing um, about it being a battle royal and this head-to-head -head battle and all that sort of thing and, and how that was just kind of like he was never in it to the degree that it was a battle royal, to the degree that it was a head-to-head -head battle. Um, but I think that... As, but he wanted as, to be. He intended to be. So, he hoped to be. <laughs> I, I, I would I would, I would, think he, he hoped to be, um, or at least hoped to be closer than 16 minutes behind. Um, but, but that being said, um, I do think that, that um, if you think of it in, in term, less in terms of a race and more in terms of an event, um, I think he brought a lot to it. I think he brought a lot of attention to it. I think he brought a lot of, of uh, a lot of fans. Um, uh, the vast majority of people that watched Jan Frodeno were Lionel Sanders fans. Um, and so, so I, I think that was important as well. And so I think to the degree that, that it's, it's supposed to be kind of setting the standard or, or trying to break new ground, uh, I think it was successful. Um, I think it was. 
So, so interesting to see whether it's a harbinger of things to come or, or just a one-off event. Um, kudos to, to Jan Frodeno for, for, of course, doing a world best in the 140.6 um, and for financing, producing, and, and, and managing this event along with his, uh, along with his agent manager. Um, so, so kind of a cool thing for him to do. Um, I don't want to like belabor this because we do want to talk about the Olympics, but, mm -hmm. and I don't know if you had this same feeling but when I saw the advertisement, I just, it was like when, you know, monster trucks used to come to Atlanta. You know, and you're just like, I, I read that, you know, they, they've got them. It looks like they're about ready to fight one another on the, yeah. on the oh, yeah. graphic. And of course, they, Jan looks like a, a Greek you know god and lionel <laughs> looks like this little puny guy in the corner which i thought was kind of funny too and then i realized oh yeah who's promoting this who created this but well and who who ultimately won but i still you know I'll, i'm going to stand by um defending lionel you know he he did extremely well um i don't think he went into it as a battle i think he went into it as a competition um and i i hope I guess my, my point of all this is I hope that down the road, I don't, I don't mind the head to head idea. It, it's, I think it's more interesting when there's more athletes, <laughs> but I don't mind the head to head idea. I think it's interesting, you know, winner, one winner, one loser is how you put it, George. Mm -hmm. um, but I hope it's not, we don't just go down that route, you know, the, the ones and zeros I won, I lost type mm -hmm. thing. Uh, I think that detracts from the sport a little bit. So, I, I, I do wonder, I, sport, I mean, sports as a whole. Yeah, I, I, I do wonder. Um, and, and, you know, as we were talking about it, one of the things that I said is that you have to judge this on different criteria than you would normally judge an endurance event. Right. And, and normally, if you look at an endurance event, you know, you can say, oh, well, somebody had a really good race, even if they didn't necessarily win. But for this one, it felt like since it's a battle royal, it's head to head. He didn't win. And so therefore it wasn't good. Do you know what I'm saying? Um, and, 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 and that was the nature of my argument the other day. And like I said, I've kind of softened on that a little bit, I think. Um, once I took a step back and looked at it more as like a marketing event, um, it felt like it was more of a potential win for him, given the fact that literally hundreds of thousands of people watched it on his YouTube channel um, as it was happening. Um, so, so yeah, I, I see it as more of a, of a, of a win, I think, than I did before if, when I think about it as, as an event, um, as opposed to an athletic competition, if that makes sense. Right. Um, I just had to, to, had to, had to apply yet a third criteria that we weren't even talking about when we were texting about it the other day. Um, but but I, do, I do wonder, too, um, you know, we, we saw last year so many, like, time trials, um, and we saw so many records broken in like these solo efforts in empty stadiums. Um, and, and they were fun to watch. Um, and, and something about them felt very pure. Um, uh, and, and this one didn't quite have that feel, but I, I, I do wonder moving forward, whether these sort of small scale streamed events with, only a couple of competitors or a handful of competitors that are all about trying to go as fast as you possibly can. I wonder if these are going to be a recurrent feature um, post COVID. I guess we'll see. I guess we'll see. Um, but let's talk about the Olympics. <laughs> uh, Michelle, what are we going to talk about the Olympics or how are we going to go about it? 
Um, I thought maybe we could just all highlight one or two uh, track and field events that we're looking forward to. I have a feeling that the way that we converse, there'll be lots of other stuff thrown in there, but <laughs> I think we've definitely focused on, you know, certain athletes and certain events. And I think we're all looking forward to just kind of actually seeing what happens and seeing if some of these women that ran world records and massive personal bests all along, you know, throughout early June and even into early July, like what type of shape are they in now that it's six, eight weeks later, were they able to maintain that peak performance uh, mm -hmm. and really duplicate it at the Olympics? So mm -hmm. Sounds good to me. Yeah. All right. So Michelle, kick us off. Which races are you looking forward to the most or which events are we looking forward to the most? Because I know that you're also a big fan of gymnastics and other things. I am. Um, so I'm looking forward to watching the United States women's soccer team. They kick it off tomorrow morning, uh, Wednesday yeah. morning, yeah. I see 6 a.m. Um, so pretty excited about that. I'm looking forward to, I think the first big track and field event that a lot of us will tune into, uh, comes on Friday morning at 6am, the men's 10k, but I'm pretty excited about the marathons. Um, I think, you know, as I mentioned in around the horn, I followed, uh, Jake Riley's build. I like Lee Troop as a coach and a person kind of wish I lived in Boulder and was his neighbor, but that's like another topic for another <laughs> podcast. But uh, I think for the men's marathon, we're going to see it run uh, Saturday, August 7th. It's the last event. And we have uh, Jake Riley, who obviously talked about in Around the Horn. We have Galen Rupp, who we saw run a 10K and uh, be interesting to see. He's obviously a medal favorite. I would expect him to be hopefully on the medal stand. And then Abdi, who... I think it's his fifth Olympics. I could be mistaken. And it's only his fourth. He might've missed 2012 or 16. I can't remember exactly, but it's always good to see an old guy get out there and, and shine among the world's best. So I'm pretty excited for our men's marathon team. Uh, I think it's a great way to close out the Olympics and, you know, hopefully we can get a medal there. So for sure, for sure. They're doing the, the men's marathon on my birthday. So happy birthday to George. Let's have a marathon at the Olympic Games. And they're actually yeah, doing that's the, a good birthday present. I think so too. I, I know what I'm gonna be doing on my birthday. I'm gonna I'm gonna ask my wife for my birthday is leave me alone so I can watch the men's marathon. Didn't um, she just do that for like two weeks for the Tour de France? Dude, she's been out of town. That is um, true. So that's so true. so I'm good. Um, but no, and and actually interestingly and, and differently from what they've done in the past, they put the women's marathon the day before the men's marathon. Usually the women's marathon is like right at the midpoint of the games and the men's is at the very end. Um, and they're both at the very end. One of them's on August 6th and then the second one's on August 7th. Um, yeah, so just the women's marathon is going to be uh, 6 p.m. Eastern Friday, August 6th. So I'm going to be go. watching that also. There we go. <laughs> um, is anybody going to beat Elliot Kipchoge in the men's marathon? And or is anybody going to beat Bridget Kosgai in the women's marathon? Well, I think we saw Kipchoge, you know, he did not, uh, he didn't even come in top three at the most recent marathon that he ran. So I yeah. think we've seen that he's human. I think we have, you know, conditions there that are going to supersede fitness, like the heat. Mm -hmm. And, but I think in terms of, you know, him not winning the most recent London marathon, he can rebound mentally. I think we know he's fit. I would expect to see, everybody just kind of do what he does, <laughs> follow him, stay back with him. And I think he'll be up there at the end, but you know, whether or not he wins, I mean, I hope he wins. I'm a big fan. So, yeah. but we'll see. It could a, be I'm anybody's a, I, race. Yeah. I'm a big fan too. That, that, um, that 
fifth place, I think it was in London, where he really wasn't even part of the finale, showed a big chink in the armor. Had it not been for that, I would be like, oh, yeah, no, totally. He's the favorite. And honestly, he probably still is the favorite. Um, But yeah, I think a lot of it depends on on how they race um, and how the race unfolds. If they take it to them um, and folks have been willing to take it to him over the course of the past couple of years, um, then, then they might be able to beat him. But yeah, he's definitely, um, all eyes are going to be on him. I agree. Um, Eric, what do you think? I don't think we're going to set a world record. No, (laughs) it's going to be really hot. Mm -hmm. And I actually think it's going to be a tactical race, but who knows what kind of tactics people are going to employ. Um, I I agree with George. I, I think from him, um his thing is he has to react to everybody because he is you know he's the one everyone's looking to win that that's my opinion i think he has to react to everything that happens um but then to your point maybe everyone just sits around and watches him mm-hmm. and looks for that chink in the armor that apparently someone found but then i, I wanted to touch on that going back to the um the, the initial, the opening, you know, talking about uh, putting down your best effort before you really want to put down your best effort and, and leaving it out in the, the race before the race. Um, maybe that wasn't a chink in his armor. I mean, yeah, it, the expectation was for him to perform better, but, you know, maybe that he's setting himself up for the Olympics. There you go. It's all, it's all part of his game. It's all part of his game. He He was playing the long game. That's right. (laughs) Um, And and actually, you know, I don't, I don't, I I mean, we're joking. I don't think he actually was playing the long game and like through the race in London or anything in order to, to make his competitors think that he was vulnerable. I don't actually think that, but I will say that, that, um, the Olympics are, are the things that motive is the sort of thing that motivates him. Um, it's, it's, he likes Elliot Kipchoge has shown us and he has said numerous times that he likes the history thing. He likes being the first person to run under two hours. He likes being, um, the Olympic champion. He likes being the world record holder. Um, and so, so for him, this is going to be, you know, potentially be the only, I think the second person ever to, to double in the Olympic marathon. Um, that would be, that would certainly be history making. And that's the sort of thing that really gets him going. Um, so, so yeah, we'll see. Um, and then Michelle, what about Bridget Cosgay? You think anybody's going to be her? No, <laughs> I just, I don't, I, I don't know that there's anybody that right now can run to that level. I mean, there is certainly not an American woman that can run. And I, and I do agree with Eric. I think, I don't think uh, we are going to see a world record. I don't think anybody is expecting to see a world record. And I think generally speaking, and George, you'd probably know if I'm wrong, but I think the Olympics are really pretty slow. Like historically Gen- speaking, like they're really tactical races. So yeah. in some sense that could hurt Kazgai, but like, I don't think she's going to let it go slow enough that anyone's going to be near her at the end. So yeah they 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 normally are slow um they they because and and that's actually across the distance events they tend to be slower um because it doesn't matter how fast you go it matters whether you win that's Um, right and 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 nobody wants to to break the world record and come in second at the olympics really (laughs) right um um the the notable exception to that that i i think is sammy wangiro who in 2008 in the olympic games um, in devastatingly hot temperatures in Beijing went out and just threw down, um, like just 
was a I mean, the women's star. 10K in Rio so. is another good example. Women's 10K in Rio is a great example. That's what that's, and that's, so. that's what I, that was one of the best women's 10,000 meter races of all time, if not the best ten, women's 10,000 meter race of all time. But what yeah. are the temps in Sapporo right now? No. I mean, it's hot, well, so, right? Well, Sapporo is, it's, it's, it's 500 north. miles north of, okay. of, of <laughs> Tokyo. I mean, they moved it there because the temperature is supposed to be better. As it happens, we have a listener who, uh, who is, lives in Sapporo and, and, and general listens. So, so Sean, if you're hearing this, by all means, drop us a line and let us know what the weather's like in Sapporo. <laughs> also, let us know if there's any, hype around the fact that the Olympic marathon is coming there. I'm curious if the small town is, is aware of, you know, of what's happening or if it's just going to kind of feel like another road race. So I'm, I'm, I'm sure they're aware, but at the same time, everybody in Japan has been told not to spectate to stay away. Um, and so, so I imagine that the streets are going to be empty when they would normally be packed. Um, and it's, a, it's going to be an odd experience perhaps for people in Sapporo to be watching this marathon that they had been planning to stand on the side of the road and cheer for on their TVs as it literally run past the houses. Um, so touching, touching on the question you just asked, which I find is interesting that we would have to ask somebody in Sapporo what the weather's like since we are all sitting at <laughs> since, since the internet exists. Right, the internet does exist. <laughs> Thank you, Al Gore. Um, it's it's 9 a.m. or it's 8 a.m., right? And it's 90 degrees and 73% humidity. Holy crap. In Sapporo it is? <laughs> yes it is oh my gosh i didn't realize it was that hot yeah oh, so man. you're this is this is i mean this is what we're dealing with right now right mm -hmm. yeah 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 so we will see we will see um and i'll also mention just kind of tangentially so so uh michelle mentioned that the men's ten thousand is going to be one of the very first events which by the way that feels like like kicking it off with like something awesome by the way to me like fireworks yeah yeah it was, sure. it, I, and this is like my, my head is still kind of thinking tour de france mode what this feels like is putting a mountain stage on on the first day of the tour which is just not <laughs> it just is not something you do but it, but it feels like this real consequential stage like super early on you know um and and you get super excited for the very first day because that's the way i feel about the ten thousand meters i think joshua chapter guy is obviously the favorite in that i mean he set the the world record he smashed the world record in both the ten thousand meters um and the five thousand meters last year um but i think depending on the way that that shapes up um, there's a lot of people that would be able to kick pretty hard. Um, Woody Kincaid, who who won the Olympic trials, ran a 53 second last lap in order to win those trials. And Grant Fisher was right behind him. Um, and, and Joe Klecker was not too far behind that. And so I think Americans have learned how to run these tactical races. Um, and, and if this turns into a tactical race, as opposed to just a sprint from the start, then, then I think that some Americans might be able to actually compete as well as a lot more people from around the world. Um, so we'll see, so, I'll be, I'll be interested to watch that race. I'm going to be the naysayer. I think our men's 10 K team is too young to yeah. really yeah. do some damage in these games. Mm -hmm. I'm super excited to, to see what happens, but mm -hmm. I guess we can, uh, recoup this next week and see who was right and who was wrong. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's going to be a great know. race. I just don't think we have much potential to really be up there then. But I, I, I agree. I agree. I think it's going to be. I think it's going to be a little bit too fast. Um, yeah. But but we'll see. We'll see. Um, I, I'm I, I'm excited to watch. Um, Eric, besides soccer, what are you excited to watch? The men's fifteen hundred meter. Right on. Why yeah. is that? We've we've talked about Cole Hawker, and I, I think just um i don't know 
I think that we, we talked about him for multiple reasons, but I, I don't want to get into like the fact that he's unvaccinated. Yeah, unvaccinated. I was going to say, unfortunately, he's in the news today and yesterday because he's unvaccinated. Um, he did have COVID-19 a few months ago, so maybe he feels as if that gives him a degree of immunity that, that means he doesn't need to get vaccinated. But I, I, I was sorry to see that. But anyway, keep going. Right. I, I, I think he, he pulled a big um, upset in the trials. Mm -hmm. uh, I think there's a lot of excitement. I think um, he and Matthew Centrowitz. Yep. And then I'll definitely murder this guy's name. Yared. Uh, how do you say his last <laughs> name? Chariot. Yeah. No, the, the, the United States runner, um, uh, Nagoose. Oh yeah. No, from Notre Dame. Duck Goose. Yeah. Yeah. Nagoose. So I, I, you know, you, I think it's, it's exciting um, to have a young runner like Cole Hawker going to the Olympics, uh, despite the other news stories about him. But I don't think they're of the same caliber as some of the other athletes that are going to be there. And, you know, most notably, I, I mentioned it right before we got started. Um, uh, Timothy Chariot, reigning world champion. He did finish fourth in the Kenyans uh, trials. However, <laughs> He did also just throw down, I think, one of the the fastest or the fastest time in the 1500 meters on Friday. He ran 328. Mm -hmm. um, and that is just, I, I think that's blazing fast. Um, and I think he is ready uh, to uh, really set the pace. And unfortunately, I, for, for our team, I, I think he's he's the favorite to win now, even though he came in fourth in the trials for the Kenyans. I, I don't know how you guys feel about that, but. Yeah. I mean, we'll see. So, you know, central which won in 2016, which was one of my favorite races of the past decade, probably. Um, and, and that was fun to watch. And then here comes Cole Hawker, this you know kid from Indiana, who's, who's in Oregon at Oregon now, freshman at Oregon and, and out kicks the reigning Olympic champion at the U S Olympic trials. Um, mm -hmm. kind of an amazing thing, really. Um, I mean, I, I kind of want to say same song, second verse, but this is so true. in so many of the Olympic distance races is it, it depends on how it unfolds. Right. Um, the way that Cole Hawker can sprint a final 200 meters is otherworldly. And, and, and I dare say that, that his last 200 meters can compare to almost anybody's. Um, but will he be in it with 200 meters to go? <laughs> um, is, 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 is the question and, and we'll see. It's hard to say. Um, Do you know, like what Cole Hawker's PR is, Do you, is he in the, for, 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 for the 1500, right. Is he in the three thirty range? Is he... So, so yeah, I mean, we can look it up real quick, but it's, I think oh, it's about yeah. three thirty. Yeah. Three thirty-five. Yeah. Three forty-five was my guess. Yeah. Um, but I mean, that's, that's, you know, that's not as fast as 328. <laughs> and that's not like seven yeah. seconds in a Olympic distance travel. Right. Right. That's two seconds a lap. Around a track. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, that means at the end of the first lap, that person is, is, is 15 yards in front of you. Yeah. You're two, se exactly. you're yeah. two seconds behind them, yeah. which is, so you, so we, we talked about tactics, you know, knowing how fast, you know, and his closing speed in that 200 meters, don't, don't let him within 200 meters of you mm -hmm. <laughs> in the last 200 meters. Yeah. Yeah. So. yeah. We'll see. But yeah, I think that'll be interesting too. Michelle, what do you think? Men's 1500? 
I'm super excited to see Matt Snowdrewitz race. I think we saw him really just coming into uh, like world championship level form at the trials. I honestly think just him getting through the rounds was like rust, rust busting, <laughs> um, like in its truest form. So I'm pretty excited to see what several more weeks of training um, and him really showing up at the Olympics looks like. Um, I feel like he's either just going to slay or I have this weird feeling that like there's this chance that he might not even make it to the final, which I know would be kind of shocking, but um, in some ways I feel like he's super unpredictable right now, but if he gets, you know, if he has gotten incrementally more fit since the trials, I would expect him to contend for the gold medal again. And I am really excited to watch him run. I just think he's, I don't know that there's a better tactician out there at the 1500. So uh, I'm here. I'm, I'm team Centrowitz. Right <laughs> well, you think he's a good tactician just because of his time in the event? No, I think the way that he takes the third turn is just masterful. He is always just, he takes that last tangent. Like he's just always there. I don't know how he does it. I just. Bernard Legat was the same way. Like, like, you know. It's the it, same you, thing every time. And there's always a spot for him. It's like, mm -hmm. I also don't understand why, if you're a competitor, like. Why do you let him You're do watching it? the races. <laughs> you know, you're going to be running against him. Yeah. I don't know. I, no, I just, yeah, no, I, I agree with you that, that that he seems to be in a position to win almost every time. Um, and and at some point, particularly running at that level, when you see somebody who is who is consistently in a position to win, you you realize that it's not by accident. It's not by chance. There's no um, chance it's an accident. That 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 ultimately it's because he knows what he's doing and he knows how to put himself in, in a position to win when it comes down to the last 300 to 200 meters of, of the race. He um, seems to sacrifice the chance to get out of maybe fourth or fifth on that last turn for the ability to just get the turn exactly how he wants to make it, come a tiny bit into lane two, and then just kill everybody else down the final 100. Yeah. He just like I've watched him race so many times. I think he does the same damn thing every time, and you know, nobody ever and, stops. And it, and it works. <laughs> I it know. Works. Yeah, actually, Cole Hawker did stop it. Um, <laughs> that, that's true. But, I mean, but, Cole Hawker didn't stop him. Cole Hawker just just outsprinted him. Went right yeah. by him. Well, so, but that's well, what so, I'm saying is I don't think I think I think Matt's just I, I don't think he had that like really top level. And, and, and that's, and that I think is an interesting point. And that's something I think for us to consider as well. And this, this is something to consider across sports um, is that, that Cole Hawker had pack 10 where he won the 1500 and the 5,000 meters. Then he had NCAAs where he won the 1500. Um, and then he had the Olympic trials where he won the 1500. And now he's going to have the Olympic games. That's a lot of high level meets in a row how long can this guy maintain his, his high level? Whereas, like you said, Central, which didn't have pack tens, he didn't have NCAAs, was just kind of rounding into form at the beginning of the trials. Now you have to be in some of your best, if not your best shape at the trials in order to even make the team. But, but how long can you actually maintain that peak? Most of the best athletes, most of the, the, the best athletes in the world who are not in the NCAA are just now starting to hit that peak form just in time for the Olympics, right? Well, we'll see whether, whether yeah. that, that translates. 
And we know for a fact that Bowerman Track Club, for the most part, trained right through the trials. Mm -hmm. So Cole's coming off a huge season. Maybe he can sustain however many weeks it's been since that 1500 meter final at the trials and then three rounds of the Olympics. But I, I don't know. I hope we see big things from Centrowitz. So we'll see. We'll see. I think you're right that he is, you know, we talked about what did COVID do for running results and he could be one of the benefactors of that. Cole Hawker cannot be the benefactor of beneficiary. Yeah, beneficiary. Yeah, thank you. Not the benefactor. Not the one giving it, but the one. Right, exactly. Yeah, no, <laughs> if it did, if it didn't mean something different, I wouldn't have corrected you. Yeah, no, yeah. no. I, yeah, no I, I, words do mean things. So no, I, I think that not having to race, not having the big race and being able to, you know, use your own arc of improvement, you know, maybe, maybe the trials were right where he wanted to be. Yeah. And he's still arcing up and Cole Hawker's trying to hold himself yeah. at the top of that arc. And that's tough. Yeah, <laughs> that's yeah it is. Really tough. It is. It is. Speaking of trying to hold on, the one of the very first gold medals is also going to be given in the men's cycling road race. So uh, the men's cycling road race is going to be on Saturday, um, which for us is going to be Friday night, um, um, but it's going to be starting on Saturday. Um, it's about a 250 kilometer race, which is what it normally is. It's actually a point to point race, which is strange for, for championship races. Um, but the Tour de France ended on Sunday. And then the men's road race, for which a lot of the guys in the Tour de France were preparing, is going to be this Saturday. Um, and so, so I'm actually looking forward to that race and seeing that and seeing whether or how well not only did, did they come out of the Tour de France not completely wiped out because this was a very difficult Tour de France, um, but, but are they going to be able to, to logistically go from France to Japan in a couple of days, adjust, and then be able to throw down their best race in a very difficult course um, on Saturday. Um, it'll be, it's, it's hard to imagine. Uh, Matthew Vanderpoel, um, who wore the yellow jersey for the first, or he got it in stage two, um, uh, and then wore it for several days, kept it for longer than anybody thought he would, uh, wore it all the way up through stage eight. Um, he ended up dropping out of the tour the next day and began his Japan preparation. Uh, Wout Van Aert, who might be another uh, favorite, Wout Van Aert went all the way through the tour, won both the second to last stage, which was a time trial, and the last stage, which was a sprint on the Champs-Élysées. Um, and so Wout Van Aert has had some pretty severe efforts much closer to the Olympic Games than Matthew Vanderpool did. Julian Alaphilippe, who won the very first stage, uh, did a whole lot of work all the way throughout the tour, constantly working super duper hard um, and finished on the Champs-Élysées on the last day. Is he going to have anything left in order to produce on the uh, Olympic stage? We'll see. We'll see. Um, there's definitely a couple of people that kind of sandbagged their way through the uh, through the, the the Tour de France. I think Geraint Thomas, because he crashed early on, um, uh, decided that he didn't really have much of a chance, and so he wanted to focus himself on the Olympics. And so, so he's probably going to be coming out into probably a little bit better shape. Um, I think Jakob Fuglsong um, was. Uh, kind of holding back, at least I hope for his sake, he was kind of holding back throughout the course of the tour. Um, and so, so I think he might be one of those guys, Michael Kwiatkowski, 
uh, or Mikhail Kwiatkowski uh, from Poland, who's on Ineos, uh, was forced to do a whole lot of work for no good reason um, during the, 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 the Tour de France. Uh, and so we'll see whether he's tired out or whether he's actually in his best shape as he heads into Tokyo as well. So um, we'll see. We'll see. Um, it's always an interesting race. And, and more than any other race, the Olympics feels to me um, and this is true in every sport and in every event, but, but the Olympic men's road race feels like such a one-off race. It's such a unique race. If you miss the world championships, there's going to be a world championship next year. If you didn't do well in the Tour de France, the Tour de France is going to come next year. The Olympics, by its very nature, only every four years, it feels like such a unique and, and um, uh, rare opportunity for, for cyclists to, to win interesting one-off races. Um, and so it's kind of fun to watch. Um, we'll, well see who brings their A game. Lucky for all these Olympians, they only have to wait three years from so, now. So. That's right. That's right. <laughs> it feels like it's literally around the corner. It's amazing how just one last year makes it feel like a no oh, big yeah. deal. You get another shot in three years. It seems right. so much less than all four right. years. I agree. Well, you know, we were talking about Central West just a minute ago, and I, and, and I was about to say, well, four years ago, and I was like, well, no, that was like five years Five ago. years. <laughs> um, I, I think it's also interesting to see, too, and, and, and Eric can probably tell you this better than I can, um, that when you see people who are normally on different teams now on the same team, you see that in the Olympic cycling race, you have all these people who are huge rivals and, and, and beat up on one another. And then now they're working for one another in order to try and help one or the other actually end up uh, winning uh, an Olympic road race. Um, that's always kind of interesting and fun to see as well. So, um, all right. Um, other things we're looking forward to, Michelle, give me another one. So I have like five of them. <laughs> <laughs> let me Perfect. just give me another let's one. just talk about them and then uh, we can figure out if we want to talk about one more than the other so okay. uh, not necessarily in order of distance but I'm super excited to you know watch Allison Felix run her last 400 meter race in the Olympic Games hmm. um, looking forward I think our women's 800 meter team literally I mean I I think there's a chance that they could sweep I don't I don't actually think it's going to happen because I think it's impossible but Athing Mew and, and Ajay Wilson getting out there and kind of uh, hopefully a little bit of a do-over for Wilson um, and obviously looking for at least one of them to come home with a medal. We've got Ellie Purrier. Athing a- 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 Mew is otherworldly. Yeah. Like, I mean, I, I don't even her. think, I don't even think we've seen everything she can do just yet. Oh, um, I think uh, you're right for sure. Yeah, no, I think she she's absolutely incredible, and we and we've seen her do some amazing things. We saw her win the in, in, when the NCAA's in the 400, which to the point that I was making a minute ago about like rounding and shape and all that sort of thing. She ended up spending her spring running 400 meter races, and then she said after she won NCAA's in the 400, and after she she uh, uh, did so well there, she says now I get to get back to my race, the 800. Yeah. Um, and, and then she goes out and she destroyed everybody in the trials, um, in probably the most competitive women's 800 meter field ever, ever assembled in the United States. Um, and, and you just, I just, you just feel watching her like greatness. We we haven't even seen it all. Yeah, for sure. But it's like, she just like, there's so much, there's, there's something else there. Um, and so yeah, I'm super excited to see her run as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then just, I think, you know, Ellie Purrier in the 1500, I think, you know, we felt like we lost this superstar with Shelby Houlihan being uh, taken out and facing the four-year ban. But I really think Ellie is, is really, I mean, I think she could contend for a medal. I'm excited to see that race. And then uh, I really think what I'm most interested 
in figuring out is there's this idea that Safan Hassan is going to triple. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we just saw her break the world record in the 10K. It only lasted for like 36 hours, but yeah. um, you know, her being at that level six weeks ago and then coming into Tokyo and she's been racing since and we don't know that right now we do not know that she's not racing the 1500, the 5k and 10k. So, um, yeah, you know, not to overly focus on the men, we've got some awesome stuff for the women going on too, For sure. but it was hard to just pick one. So I just picked them all. (laughs) The, the, yeah. Um, Safan Hassan. So we're, we, we should say we're recording this on Tuesday night. Okay, um, that's good, right. And so, so, <laughs> don't know. so we're recording it on Tuesday the 20th. And as of Tuesday the 20th, I mean, we, we were reading articles immediately prior to this suggesting that, yeah, this is still the plan, that that, that she's looking to do the 1,500, the 5,000 meters, and the 10,000 meters. And she doesn't get like a buy into the finals. That means she has to do like all the prelims and all that sort of thing as well. And and so um, being able to, to qualify for all three of those finals, much less perform at a really high level in those finals, we'll see. If anybody can do it, she yeah, can. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> you know, um, and because when when she broke that ten thousand meter world record earlier this year, we talked about her incredible range, um, and that's a thing that one of the things that really distinguishes her. Um, and so, I, I I would I would like to see her try it and do well, even if she doesn't end up uh, doing all three. Um, I I'm, I'm a sucker for these sort of epic things. I mean, after all, this is a podcast named after Emil Zatopek's famous quotation, right? after he won three gold medals in 1952 in Helsinki. And so, yeah, I I would like to see it happen. Um, So so I'm excited about that as well. Um, Very good. Eric. And then not to be forgotten, sorry, just Emily Sisson, women's 10K. I think what we're looking for there is if the race isn't too tactical and it goes out fast, um, I think she's going to take down Molly Huddle's American record in the 10K. So um, we'll see. Yeah. Sorry, I don't have lots of sprinter stuff here but uh, eh, that's okay i got a i picked my uh, <laughs> uh <laughs> picked my well, battle with the distance, what, so. what about the women's steeplechase are you excited about that oh i definitely think that i am excited i just i'm not sure they're just the the other women are are so strong i mean i i think emma is so strong and i think obviously we've seen you know in rio and in in the worlds she seems to you know, be pretty consistent with being able to medal. So I would love to see her medal. I just think that, and unfortunately the people who seem to beat her keep coming up with these, you know, positive tests and, and facing doping suspensions. So I, I, I think I hope for the steeple more than anything, that it's just a clean race, a fair race mm-hmm. that, you know, our American women can walk away whether they medal, um, just feeling like it was a fair playing field. I know for sure in Rio, you know, they knew right away that, they were racing against women who weren't clean and, and we found out that to be the case. So um, I definitely hope that for them too, but yeah, I mean, I want everyone to do well. I'm excited. I'm going to watch everything I can. So. <laughs> How are you going to watch last week? We were talking about it and you said you were, you were working on the schedule. You were kind of getting that out. What is the mechanism you're going to do? Are you going to be watching on network television? You're going to be streaming it. What are you going to be doing? So it's a combination of Peacock and NBC Olympics. So I have a Peacock Peacock subscription. Me too. I'm borrowing. I didn't actually find it that helpful for the trials, though. I was a little bit frustrated. It was it was great for the Tour de France. Okay, that's fair. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, we watched Tour de France on Peacock this weekend. Actually, I was with a bunch of women and they wanted to watch the tour. So I had to watch some of that. Uh, what a classic then, group of women you must have been hanging out yeah, with. I know. 
So if I guess if I'm not watching Peacock, then I'm probably going to pick it up from NBC Olympics um, on a borrowed uh, YouTube TV login from my sister and brother-in-law, which I'm very thankful for. So hopefully the combination of NBC Olympics, Peacock, and as little uh, replays as possible is what I'm going for. So I, I like how all three of us over the course of this have talked about, or at least the two of you, and maybe I'm about to do the same thing by even saying all three of us have talked about the various ways that we're going to illegally access the Olympic games. <laughs> <laughs> so um, yeah, I'll, I'll be using perhaps one of my parents' logins or, or something else like that. So, so, uh, so, so we'll see. Listen, um, they don't make it easy. I mean, it just seems like they would make it a lot easier than they do. And it's just not easy. So what, what they, what they do is they spread it out over multiple services or over multiple channels in order to try and get you to subscribe to various channels and to various services. They, they, they want to, to, to broaden their, 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 uh, subscriber base and, and thereby bring in more revenue, but right. But um, you have so many different same, places. Same way that, that you have it's the same to way that like Disney World puts all the all the favorite rides in all the different parks. So you ultimately have to go to all the different parks, right? Um, so, um, all right. Um, I'll mention two more quick races that I'm looking forward to. Since we haven't talked about a whole lot of sprinting, we can talk about sprinting. Um, I'm looking forward to the hundred meters, the women's one hundred meters. Um, and the main reason why I'm looking forward to that is because of Shellyann Fraser Price from Jamaica doing the 100 meters again. She's 34 years old. She'll be my mom a few years ago. Um, she won the gold medal in 2008 in Beijing and in 2012 in London. She won the bronze medal in 2016, but then she came back in 2019 and won the world championships. Um, and she, of course, is going to be competing for Jamaica again in, in these Olympic Games. Now, at 34 years old and she has these, these older gold medals from back in the day, it's like, oh, well, she might be past her prime. She's kind of hanging on a little bit. But no, she actually ran the second fastest time uh 10.63 ever for women's 100 meters just back on june 5th um and so people are talking about she might be able to break the 33 year old world record in the 100 meters from florence griffith joiner um uh, people are talking about she could be the oldest person ever to win an individual olympic sprint um she could become the first uh woman ever to win three 100 meter gold medals at various olympic games um and so i'll be interested to see that um obviously um uh, I feel like she's uh, she's the sprint version of, of us talking about people continuing to, to achieve at a very high level um, as they as they get a little bit older. Um, she's not, of course, going to be without um, without competition. Um, the 2016 uh, winner of the games is one of her countrywomen. Um, uh, Shikari Richardson from the United States um, is not going to be there, as we know, um, and we don't need to get into that too much, but. Uh, she did receive a ban for marijuana use, um, which is illegal in competition. Um, and because she was using it around the time that she was in the Olympic trials, that took her, that invalidated her Olympic trials win um, and thereby invalidated her earning a berth on the United States Olympic team. Um, and so she's not going to be in Tokyo either in the relay or, or in the individual event. So uh, that kind of smoothed the road a little bit for Shelly and Fraser Price, but um, we'll see whether she's actually able to win. Um, and then the other sprint races I'm really looking forward to are both the men's and the women's 400 meter hurdles. Um, when we were on here a couple of weeks ago, I talked about how fantastic the women's 400 meter 
hurdles race was at the Olympic trials. It was one of my favorite races to watch at the Olympic trials. And I still do think that what Sidney McLaughlin did was a work of art at the Olympic trials. Um, she uh, set a world record of 51.9 at the trials, uh, finishing second in that trials race was Dalila Muhammad. Um, uh, her world record had been 52.16. Um, and it stands to reason the two of them are favorites to go one and two and may well both or one of them set yet another world record in the 400 meter hurdles, the women's 400 meter hurdles uh, there at the Olympic games. And so um, I look forward to watching that race and seeing the way that that, that, that comes uh, comes off. Uh, and then of course you have the men's 400 meter hurdles, um, not to be outdone. Uh, a Norwegian guy named Karsten Warholm. Um, he's a two-time world champion. He set the world record just last month of 46.7, broke the world record of an American named Kevin Young um, that was set a while back. It was set like when I was in high school, I want to say. Um, and he's going to be going up against uh, Abdi Rahman Samba from Qatar and, and Rai uh, Benjamin from the United States. Um, and so that should be a super fun and super competitive and super fast race to watch. So, Is he young? Um, Is he like 22? So, Rye Benjamin or or uh, or or Carson Warholm. Warholm. So he is. Yeah. 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 What's up with the Norwegians, man? You got you got Warholm. You got what's in their water, man? (laughs) Yeah, I'm telling you. Um, And so so I'll be looking forward to probably more than ever before watching Norwegians actually compete in the Olympic Games (laughs) in the Summer Olympic Games. (laughs) So very good, very good. All right, last words, Eric. What's your last word? I'm just hoping to get to see some uh, South African uh, Olympic <laughs> soccer. I'm just going to come right back to that. Um, your last word is the same as your first word. <laughs> yes. I hope Thursday the Japan-South Africa game goes off and I get to see it. So, All right. Very good. I hope so too, buddy. Um, uh, it, it feels uh, – uh, it's frustrating for me too because we talked about how excited you were a week or two ago um, to have one of the athletes you used to coach on the Olympic team, and, and now that's that's thrown into doubt. Um, and so I will be keeping all my fingers and all my to- toes crossed that that, that game will happen. <laughs> I don't so. want to see that, but I appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> it'll, make, it'll make it hard to type and hard to train, but but if it, if it puts Luke on the field, I'll do it for you, buddy. Thank you. Um, uh, Michelle, last word? Throw a plug for another sport. I'm excited to watch the uh, qualification rounds for women's gymnastics. It's July 25th and the interesting thing about this is the United States is paired with the Netherlands and Amy Borman, who was Simone Biles coach up through Rio is actually an assistant coach now for the Netherlands. So we're going to see Amy as part of team Netherlands, Simone as part of USA. And there's, you know, already been a little bit of chatter about how they're going to talk to each other. And I just kind of love that coach athlete relationship. So, um, I don't think anybody has a chance. I mean, the USA is six to eight points ahead of the next best team, but just getting to watch that in the Olympics and watching those individual competitors that don't get to compete with the team in their own individual event finals. I'm excited about that. So for sure, let the Olympics begin. I'm like, I'm here for it. I'm ready. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. Me too. Eric, thanks for being with us. Anytime, George. I love it. Thank you. Michelle, have fun. In front of my TV? Yes. (laughs) Okay. Thanks for listening, everybody. Thanks again for listening to the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash pleasantpodcast, on Twitter at pleasantpodcast, or on Instagram, Most Pleasant Exhaustion. 
We're available on Stitcher, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, or Spotify, so share us with your friends. Don't forget that we're sponsored by ITL Coaching and Performance, who you can find at itlcoaching.com, on Twitter, at itlcoaching, on Facebook, at facebook.com slash itlcoachingperformance, and on Instagram, itlcoaching. We're also sponsored by Blue Pineapple Travel, bluepineappletravel.com, facebook.com slash bluepineappletravel, and on Instagram, bluepineappletravel. And finally, don't forget we're sponsored by SlayRx. That's slayrx.com, facebook.com slash here for SlayRx. That's the number four, SlayRx. Twitter, at official SlayRx. And Instagram, here for SlayRx, the number four, SlayRx. Discount code PLEASANT21. On behalf of Michelle Frank, Patrick Ollinger, and Eric Hall, I'm George Darden. Thanks for listening to the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast. See you next time.